Hello, everyone. Before we start the show, do you know someone who is under 40 and working toward the benefit of state or local public health? If so, nominations for the De Beaumont Foundation's 40 Under 40 in Public Health Class of 2023 are open now until May 17th, and the link to nominate is in the description of today's episode. Now, back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to From the Front Row. Today, we are beginning our series featuring the 2021 class of the De Beaumont Foundation's 40 Under 40 in Public Health, a group of leaders who are changing the face of public health in creative and innovative ways. Natalie Kasaborski received a Master of Social Work in 2005 and a Master of Public Health and PhD in Social Work in 2014, and she currently wears many hats. She is a faculty member for Michigan State University, a special projects consultant for multiple public health organizations, and she serves on the board of directors for the Women's Resource Center of Northern Michigan. Her work touches many sectors, including community health, mental and behavioral health, population health, and school health. Today, she's here with us to discuss her career, her experiences with rural health and cross-sector partnerships, as well as her experiences with burnout and change over the course of her career. I'm Anya Morozov, joined today by Rasika Mukamala, and if it's your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in and outside the field of public health. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be a guest. So to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your story and what led you to the roles you have today? Sure. I feel like I kind of fell into public health. I didn't know that public health was a career field until I was in it. I initially wanted to be a researcher. So after I finished my undergrad degree in psychology at the University of Michigan, I worked on a National Institute on Drug Abuse Study in a methadone clinic in the city of Detroit. And that's where I discovered social work and went back then for my MSW. I focused on interpersonal practice with children and youth, which was a clinical degree because I thought that would be useful, but it was really research that interested me. And from there, then I went to Michigan State University for a PhD in social work, again, with the thought of focusing on research and then pursuing a career in academia. And in my PhD, I had to have some classes at Cognate and a few focus area classes. And so I took a public health class and that was really where I started to discover public health and what it was and really felt my path emerging in front of me. The application of a lot of the social justice principles that I studied in social work and that you know I felt were important in the work that I was going to do, I saw them in practice in public health. And the idea of looking at things at a systems level and being able to work more broadly to make change at a population level and look at population health really interested me. So as I started to take a few public health classes, I decided to get a second master's degree in public health. And then that's where I started to pursue the public health aspect. So I moved up north to a small rural community And I was finishing my PhD. I was working on my dissertation remotely. I was teaching remotely. 
from Michigan State University. And there was a job posted at our local public health department that was a grant coordinator position that seemed to merge a lot of my experience. That was really interesting to me. It was an early childhood behavioral health initiative, and it was grant funded. It was looking at universal screening and implementing some systems level work to try to identify toddlers, infants and toddlers earlier to get them into early intervention services with a special focus on behavioral challenges and connecting them to resources and creating linkages. And so I interviewed and got that position. And that was the start of uh, an almost 11-year career with the local public health department. So, you know, my path was not straight, but I think it took me exactly where I needed to be. In October of 2021, I resigned from that position at the local health, public health department. I was serving as deputy health officer, and I was definitely a product of COVID burnout. It was a difficult decision. I loved the organization. I loved the team that I worked with. We created a great supportive culture, despite some of the challenges that we had working in local public health through COVID, but it was it was time to move on with some of the politics that had emerged with a mask mandate and some of the other issues that we were facing. So I had an opportunity at Michigan State University as an assistant professor and made that transition to doing that and then continuing to work as a practitioner in public health through some consulting projects through a small consulting business that I started when I left. Uh, I love so many aspects of that story. First of all, I feel like a lot of us fall into public health. <laughs> so I really identify with that. I don't know. I feel like you don't really hear about it in like high school and then somewhere in college or or even afterwards. A lot of us find out that, oh, public health is a thing that exists. And then you start to see the problems that public health works to solve and you're like, that's where I want to be. Yeah, I also appreciate your your openness with talking about your experiences with burnout and just how you've transitioned your role over time. Yeah, I think we have a marketing issue in public health. You know, we don't really, we, we are always on to the next thing and we don't stop to celebrate or share our success or promote our field. And I think there's many of us who kind of realize late what public health is and that it that it's a whole discipline. Yeah, I was just going to add, I think like after COVID, I think public health has kind of become more popular per se. I think people are more aware of the impact that public health can have and that public health practitioners can have on the public. I think it was kind of hidden I know in undergrad, when I took a public health course, we kind of compared and contrasted like the H1N1 flu to COVID. Obviously, they were very different, but I think even just how public health came to light between those two and how we like reacted, I think it's become more apparent for like people to get an MPH or other public health degrees. I know a lot of undergrad institutions are now having public health majors because it's become such a calling for people. So I think it's really interesting to hear about your experience and kind of how some of our listeners might be falling into a similar path as well. 
it's such a great field too, because it's so diverse and there are so many things that you can do and so many different areas of specialty that you can pursue with a public health degree. You know, I think it really is unique in that it opens lots of different doors and that along the way, you can always go back to some of the fundamentals if you decide to pursue a different route. So I know you mentioned your background in both public health and social work. So can you talk about the overlaps between those and possibly how being a mental health provider has helped shape your career? I think I touched on this a little bit, but I think that so much of public health and social work overlap. So many of the core values, you know, the work that we are striving to do towards health equity and just valuing person, valuing communities, incorporating resident voice into the work that we do. The application of social justice to healthcare was really how I first saw the overlap. And then, you know, as I pursued different areas of my career, different opportunities that fall more into the social work bucket or more into the public health bucket, there seems to always be overlap. So I've appreciated that and being able to lean on either specialty area, depending on what the issue is or what the project is. And I think both my training as a mental health clinician, but also my experience as a mental health clinician have informed all of the work that I have done. I was fortunate enough to work as a school-based mental health provider when I first joined the local public health department. And had the privilege to work with so many children and families that were experiencing hardships or difficulties in their life and, you know, trusted me and trusted our services to try to work together to identify some coping strategies or connection to additional resources and witnessing the increase in access to care and the ability for students to have what they need, where they needed it, and seeing real impact and, and great outcomes. You know, looking at that as a systems level work, I appreciated being able to do that work individually with families, but then really thought every school district should have this access. And that was 10 years ago or so. And Michigan has really been leading the way with access to school-based mental health. We've been fortunate that our leadership and legislature has continued to provide additional funding for new sites. And I've been really fortunate to, to be part of that work and to see access expanding across the state with the goal of hopefully having school-based mental health in every district across the state. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're currently doing to try to increase access to school-based mental health services? Sure. One of the projects that I work on right now, I serve as the school-based mental health consultant through the School Community Health Alliance of Michigan, which is a state association for school-based health centers or child and adolescent health centers, and work to provide support to sites that are launching, you know, best practices, access to training and technical assistance. I work on another project with the local public health department that's a system-wide regional project looking at increasing access to behavioral health that has some aspect of school mental health services within it. 
So I have my hands in a few different areas that they seem to continually be overlapping. So it feels like I'm in the right space right now. Can you talk about some of the challenges that are unique to public health efforts in rural areas? Sure. I think the challenges that we face in rural areas are probably the same challenges that are faced anywhere you're working in public health. You know, funding, of course, is an issue. There either is too much. I don't know if too much is a thing, but there's either a lot all at once or there's not enough. So trying to advocate for appropriate funding and sustainable funding so that, especially at the system level, when work takes a long time, when your impact has to be measured over years, having those interim data points and and having that understanding with key stakeholders so that that funding is ongoing is really important. I think in it's a strength in rural communities, but I think it's also a challenge that sometimes there's only one of a specific stakeholder. Like there might be one school district or one hospital or one mental health agency. And so having strong relationships and cultivating those relationships to create those cross-sector partnerships are really, it's really important to do that work because you might only have one. So if you're working on an issue where you need that expertise or you need that partnership, having those relationships already in existence is important. Do you find that working in a rural community that you're within, does that kind of make it more challenging because you know all of the people or does it make it a lot easier for you to work with them since there's only like one agency of each department? Yeah, I think probably both, just like any working relationship that most of the time, most of the time it's, it's a strength. And I think community is really a value that is held closely in a lot of rural communities or rural areas that residents are proud to be from the communities that they're from and to be from small towns or rural towns. So I think it's a little bit of both where it's nice to have, you know, anyone you might need to contact in your phone because you've already worked together. And so if you need a last minute letter of support, or if you're thinking about applying for a grant application, you can just give them a call or send them a text. I think that that partnership in rural communities is really valuable, you know, but at the same time, if that organization doesn't exist, if there's a staffing turnover, if you don't have those relationships, there's no one else to fall back on. Mm. Yeah, very true. I also like the part you mentioned about funding because, yeah, I do think that's a problem, like, or not necessarily problem, but that's a a consideration across any health departments. And especially like right now, when I do think we've seen an influx of funding from COVID-19 and the next few years are kind of the test of like, is that funding going to be sustained or is it going to be another boom bust cycle? So hoping as as Rasika and I move towards graduation that it's it's the former, but we'll we'll see. <laughs> right. I know. And we're experiencing some of that right now in mental health. 
because there's been such a push and a focus on mental health, especially children's mental health. In 2021, the Surgeon General had a public health advisory about uh, children and adolescent mental health and the need for services and the need for addressing the issue. And so we've seen some funding in response to that, but then it goes to, we have all this funding, but in that instance, now we don't have the workforce because it's such a specialized skill. So, you know, we're kind of always trying to, to catch up and keep up with the resources, whether it's people or funding or, you know, whatever type of capacity it is trying to get them in balance so that we can move forward successfully is definitely a challenge. So kind of along the lines of mental health, we know that burnout is a pressing problem among public health professionals. You talked a little bit about your own experience, and especially just after the pandemic, a lot of organizations are facing high turnover. So what are your thoughts on addressing burnout and fostering resiliency just generally among public health professionals? In my own personal life, I feel so grateful that I've been able to stay in the field of public health and to take some of my favorite parts of being an administrator and now be using those same skills in my new role. And I think that that is really important when we think about burnout and we think about workforce development, that we can't only be focused on new grads and creating programs to train new people to enter the field. I think we also have to really focus on public health professionals that have been in the field and have experience and expertise and how do we retain them? How do we take their interests and shift them into new projects? Or, you know, it, how do we keep them in the field, whether they're transitioning to a new organization? Um, I think it has to be a multi-tiered approach and that we have to look at building the total number of people entering the workforce, but at the same time, we have to look at how do we decrease people who are completely leaving the workforce and maybe shift into different roles or different areas within the field of public health. And I referenced this earlier, there's so many different avenues that you can take that you can work in health education, you can work in epidemiology. And I think, I think the benefit of having that broad coursework during your education is that you can go back to it and you can make that shift. And even if you haven't developed expertise, you have the foundation so that, you know, before you get to that place of burnout, you can think back on what are the skills, what are what's the work that excites me and how can I do more of it? And so then I think as leaders, it's our job to be responsive to staff that are looking to make that shift. We can't just focus on on hiring new staff, we have to also be supporting our existing staff. I totally love what you said. I think I'm interested in HR. So burnout is super important to me. And I think there's a lot of things that are new ideas that we can approach to help with retention. I think recruitment is its own idea in healthcare and especially when it comes to hospitals, I think it's a little bit different with recruiting providers and nurses with workforce shortage. But I think there is similarities between public health professionals and providers. I think everyone is experiencing burnout. 
But I think what you mentioned about when we do our education, it's like it's almost generalized. So then we can go into different things that we pulled from our education. I think that's super interesting because I think about that a lot. Sometimes I'm in my classes and I'm like, do I personally see myself using this in the future? No, but it would be nice like if I felt like I needed to, I could. And I think that's what's important is that you learn it so that even if you never use it, it's still in your back pocket. Either maybe you can inspire someone to Maybe you find that someone's really interested in IT and you once upon a time took an IT class and you can kind of build upon that. Or maybe you yourself suddenly found a project that you're interested in. So I think that's really interesting that you bring that up. And I think it's so needed in our everyday lives. And I think everyone is really grateful for people who are focusing on burnout because sometimes it's hard to ask for help. But with professionals like you, I think it's we're moving in the right direction. The common response is looking at self-care and looking at kind of surface level things like, you know, reading a self-help book and taking a yoga class. And that really, to, you know, it's almost like you apply public health principles to burnout, right? What is the root cause? Let's go further upstream. What is it that's causing the burnout? And if you are, are feel if if your work is not invigorating you and you don't feel passionate about the work that you're doing and it's draining you, then how do we change some of the daily tasks and some of the things that are surrounding that work to try to reduce burnout? if it's happening, but even more than that, prevent it. Yeah. You're like demonstrating how transferable public health skills are. <laughs> you can even apply public health principles to how we approach thinking about burnout and how to address it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our next question is about the DeBomout Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience as part of the 40 under 40 class of 2021. Sure. Yeah. It's been such an honor to be named as one of the 2021 40 under 40. I was so pleasantly surprised. It's just been such a joy. It's also very interesting personally, because I think we were notified about a week before I submitted my resignation, maybe two weeks before I submitted my resignation. So it really all was happening at this crossroads in my career. It's been really nice to participate in some of the training and the networking and to see so much great work that's happening across the country in public health. My cohort members are specialized in public health in so many different areas. So our trainings have been really helpful. We have been able to develop and practice skills, you know, very specialized based on things that we've requested like communication or leadership development. There's an upcoming retreat in a few weeks where they're bringing together people to, to meet in person. So I unfortunately can't join. It's during my kids' spring break, but I think that will also be really valuable for the cohort. And I'm looking forward to hearing about it and still benefiting as those you know relationships continue to grow and we continue to meet virtually. So. so you mentioned like spring break and spending time with your kids. And you've also talked about 
how many different things you're doing right now. You're a faculty member at Michigan State. You're on the board of directors for the Women's Resource Center of Northern Michigan. You have kids at home. How do you balance everything? That is a great question. And I, I'm going to share a story. So a few years ago, I had a conversation with a very dear friend and mentor of mine about the idea of balance and how to balance everything, especially as a working mom and wanting to do well and, and you know, thrive in both of those roles. And she shared that she works towards harmony, not balance. And that if, if you don't have balance, you are you are out of balance. And so then something is lacking. So if you're focused more on things that are happening at home, you know, your work is going to suffer and and you're not going to be able to give it what it needs and vice versa. And so this idea of harmony and that those, that, that in the time that you're in, you're giving your energy where it needs to go. And it might be a little bit towards work efforts, you know, one day, and then it might be a little towards home efforts one day, but that ebb and flow that works in in synthesis together and in harmony, that if that is the mental picture of what you're working towards rather than balance, that it's a little bit easier to see how everything fits together and also not to be so hard on yourself. And so that conversation has stayed with me. And I really use that metaphor to think about my work-life harmony and how to fit everything in and make sure that I'm showing up the way that I want to for my family and for my three kids and also for my students and my coworkers. And so I think just that little shift in language really helps to take away some of the strive for, you know, doing all of it all the time and just recognizing that they flow together in harmony and that it's not always going to be hundred percent in one way and a hundred percent the other. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's one thing that I have kind of learned after talking to a lot of different people in the workforce. I think a lot of people have changed calling it work-life balance to other other iterations of the term. But I think you're totally right. There might be a day when you have a night class and you might have to like stay late at work, but then the next day you might have something for your family. So it's all about like the relative balance rather than like, did I spend exactly the same amount of time today at home as I did at work? So I think changing the way that we look at work-life balance and making it more, am I giving and getting what I need from both to the best of my ability in a different way? So I think that's super interesting. And I'm glad that you were able to share your experience with us. Yeah. And I think having those conversations too with with friends or with colleagues or with, you know, people who are in similar positions is important because it's just having that validation that it's hard. It's it's hard to be an employee. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard to be a partner. All of those things come with tasks and stress and and you know, use your time. And so being able to have that peer support to share strategies and, uh, you know, like I said, to just validate that it's a challenge and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes there's this desire to like put up this front of like, oh, everything's going fine, but really acknowledging when you're, when you're struggling, when something is challenging and 
sharing that with others is kind of more more beneficial I feel like so we have one final question for you so what is one thing you thought you knew but were later wrong about and we ask all of our guests on the show this question and it can be about healthcare or not healthcare. okay one thing I thought I knew I think when I was first starting my career was that I thought it would be a straight line and that you know, it would be whatever job one was, job two would be some type of like promotion and more and that it would be promotion and more and promotion and more and that it would be this like, you know, linear line climbing the ladder. And I think that I was totally wrong and I learned that it's much more of a circular winding path then it is a linear one. And so that realization has really helped to just bring joy to the work that I do, that it's not, I'm not necessarily looking for what's next or that if there's going to be something greater that kind of the path is unfolding in front of me. It's, it's not a destination. The path is unfolding in front of me. I really like that. And as someone who is graduating in like a few months, I've, I've also had to come to that realization and like I had a conversation with someone where I was panicking about oh my gosh I have to find the perfect next job or something and she was like it doesn't have to be like you're not going to be stuck in that job for the rest of your life that's that whatever you do next is not going to be like the end all be all of where you end up you could find out you like it and keep going down that path or you could decide you don't and then transition into something else and that's okay and so Yeah, it's really reassuring to hear that kind of similar experience coming from someone who's who's gone through the experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I would still say that, that it's still it's still unfolding. Any last thoughts on anything that we've talked about before we wrap up? No, just thank you so much. I appreciate you reaching out and being able to share a little bit about my journey and what I do in public health, you know, it's every, everyone that works in public health has a different story, even if you work in the same field, because it's so unique, you know, the community that you're in or the organization that you work for. So I think it's great that you're telling these stories and, and sharing and giving voice to the work that's being done. So thank you. Thank you. It's been great to learn your story and to hear about kind of the different paths you've taken, your experience with burnout, your experience with just the intersections between social work and public health. And yeah, it's been a really insightful conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. And that's it for our episode this week. Big thanks to Natalie Kasaborski for joining us today. This episode was hosted and written by Anya Morozov and Rasika Mukamala, and edited and produced by Anya Morozov. You can learn more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook, and our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with your colleagues, friends, or anyone interested in public health. Have a suggestion for our team? You can reach us at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. 
This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Until next week, stay healthy, stay curious, and take care.